welcome to the latest podcast from the Stevenson Harwood employment team. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the whole series on iTunes, Stitcher and Soundcloud or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. My name is Beth Hale and I'm a senior associate. I have with me Paul Reeves, an employment partner. Hello. And today we're going to look at disciplinary processes and we're going to tackle some of the common questions our clients ask us in practice. One of the most frequent questions we get asked is about the role of a companion in a disciplinary hearing. Employees have the right to be accompanied by a trade union representative or a fellow worker at a disciplinary hearing under Section 10 of the Employment Relations Act 1999. So Paul, what is the role of a companion at a disciplinary hearing? The role of a companion is very limited. They can address the hearing, including putting the employee's case, asking questions, summing up what has happened and responding to views expressed. They are not, however, expressly entitled to answer questions on behalf of the employee, obstruct the meeting or address the hearing against the employee's wishes. And can an employee choose any companion they want? Whilst the right to be accompanied itself has to be reasonable in terms of timing and so on, the choice of companion itself does not have to be reasonable. Provided the chosen companion is either a trade union official or a work colleague, the employer cannot strictly object to a particular choice made by an employee, even if that person has a potential conflict of interest. However, there may be circumstances in which a particular companion simply wouldn't be appropriate or may exacerbate matters, and a commercial decision has to be made by an employer to object to the choice of companion in spite of the strict letter of the law. And can employees bring a lawyer to a disciplinary meeting? Generally, no. There is no right for a lawyer to attend a disciplinary meeting, and our advice would be to avoid this in most cases. There is an argument that where the outcome of a disciplinary process could be career-ending, for example, individuals in a regulated industry, such as the financial services sector, that they do have a right to be legally represented under the Human Rights Act. It's also worth considering whether allowing a lawyer to be present might be a reasonable adjustment for employees with certain disabilities. But on the whole, lawyers should not be there Individuals have the opportunity to take legal advice prior to the disciplinary meeting and that should be sufficient. An issue that we're seeing more and more of is requests to record disciplinary hearings. What advice would you give to clients on that? If there's a real concern about the accuracy of the record or the issues are sensitive, for example, discrimination, then you may wish to pay for a professional transcription service. This avoids any later arguments about who said what at the meeting. However, you should bear in mind that this adds to the cost but the cost is offset by the time saving that can be made from having to argue or disagree over what was or was not said at the meeting. One thing that we are seeing, though, is that it's becoming more and more common, particularly as most employees have smartphones, for employees to covertly record a meeting. Whilst covert recordings may not always be admissible in evidence on a public policy ground, if any recording includes any clearly inappropriate or discriminatory comments, it's likely that a court or tribunal would admit the recording in evidence, even if it was made covertly. It's a good idea for those running the hearing to carry out deliberations or discussions in a different room in case a hidden recording device has been left behind by an employee. Employers could consider expressly prohibiting recordings in their disciplinary policies and in the invitation to meetings. As a general rule, we would always advise clients to ask the question at the very outset of the, the meeting, is the individual recording on any device and see what reaction you get from the individual. If they say that they are, you then have a choice to make as to whether you permit the recording and get the device on the table so that you can get an accurate recording and agree the parameters about who gets copies of the recording and who will get it transcribed.
And what about suspension of employees who are subject to disciplinary proceedings? Should employees always be suspended during the process? The short answer is no. Suspension should never be used as a knee-jerk reaction. If you are going to consider suspension, then the following should be taken into account. A, whether you have a contractual right to suspend, and B, any risk to the business of the employee remaining in the role during the investigation. For example, would the individual interfere with the investigation or interfere with witnesses? If there are no such risks, the employee should not be suspended. If an employee is suspended, there is extra pressure to conclude the process quickly. Out of sight shouldn't be out of mind. And remember that suspension is not always a neutral act for these purposes. The danger with suspension is that it develops a life of itself. And as soon as someone is taken out of the business on suspension, individuals assume that they are guilty by their absence. Other matters to consider if you do suspend people is what do you say to the team and also what do you put on their out of office. These should be as neutral as possible because at the stage of suspension the individual is not guilty of any disciplinary misconduct. And the ACAS guidance suggests that witnesses should be called to disciplinary hearings and employees should be given the opportunity to cross-examine them. What would your advice be on this? Although the ACAS code does say that individuals can cross-examine witnesses, our advice is that this should never be permitted. This is not a mini-trial, this is your process and you should control the process. The danger of individuals cross-examining witnesses is that this becomes a very confrontational process. Particularly if you've got a harassment issue, cross-examining of witnesses could be very traumatic for the individuals. So our advice is always allow the individual to put forward their questions to the person making the disciplinary decision and let that person ask the questions on their behalf. The other danger is that you get a list of questions where a number of those questions will be inappropriate and so you do need to have some kind of filter on this. Staying on witnesses, witnesses who are involved in disciplinary processes often ask to have their identity protected. Can employers guarantee anonymity? Unfortunately not. It may be possible to protect the identity of an individual during an internal process and even then only to the extent they are not identifiable by the evidence they give. But as soon as the matter moves to litigation it will be almost impossible to protect their anonymity because of the requirements on disclosure. What you should be doing is giving employees reassurance to the extent you can about the confidential nature of the internal process and in extreme cases restricted reporting orders can be applied for tribunal proceedings. But employers should be wary about over-promising in this regard. What we do often see in this situation is where employers like to provide a matrix of the evidence given in respect of each allegation. That way they can conceal the identity of witnesses in a non-attributable form. Now employees sometimes ask to be allowed to resign during a disciplinary process in order to avoid dismissal. Is this something you would advise employers to accept? There's very little you can do. If the individual wants to resign, then that is their choice. One thing you need to make sure of is that if the individual does want to resign, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to cease your investigations. The allegations may relate to breaches of your systems and controls, for example expense fraud, and therefore you will want to conclude any investigation irrespective of whether the individual has resigned. However, employers should be careful when making promises to employees who choose this route, particularly in relation to references, and then particularly where an employer is obliged to provide a regulatory reference under the new regulatory regime. Remember that you have obligations and potential liability in relation to both the employee and future employers on references, which should be accurate and not misleading. The fact that the employee was not ultimately dismissed does not necessarily mean that there is nothing to reflect in a reference.
And finally, do employers have to follow a full disciplinary process even if the employee in question has less than two years' service? If the individual has less than two years' service, then obviously they cannot bring a claim for unfair dismissal, except in very limited circumstances. So for those employees with less than two years' service, you may decide to dispense with the process. However, you do need to be very careful that there are no allegations of discrimination, nor is there an allegation of whistleblowing, because neither of those require the two-year service requirement. So assuming that the individual has neither a discrimination nor a whistleblowing claim, and they have less than two years' service, then you could dispense with the process in that situation. Thanks, Paul, and thanks for listening. Remember that you can listen again and subscribe to the series on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud or on the Stevenson Harwood website. (laughs) 